I'm Rex Salisbury, and this is the Cambrian FinTech Podcast. On this show, we talk to the founders, operators, and investors who are shaping the future of financial services. So we have an awesome program for you today. We're going to be talking with Shua, the founder of Deal. So Deal is the all-in-one HR platform for global teams. They help companies of all sizes, anywhere from a two-person startup to publicly traded companies, manage contractors and full-time employees in 150-plus countries around the world. So I first met the founders of Deal in 2019, shortly after they had graduated YC's winter batch. They were a small, scrappy team, but clearly onto something uh, pretty big. They'd had a lot of success selling their product to their other batchmates. And so I actually had them present at one of our community events for the Cambridge community in downtown San Francisco in October of 2019. And then a few months later, when I was still at Andreessen Horowitz, we ended up leading their Series A. So we were obviously quite excited about what they were building, even back in 2019, and since then become one of the fastest growing companies in the history of A16Z. And so, well, why did they exceed expectations? Well. 2019, remote work was a trend. 2020, the pandemic happened, and all of a sudden, everyone is running distributed teams. And being able to pay people around the world goes from not just a nice-to-have, but a necessity. But even as the pandemic has waned, Deal has continued to scale impressively. So in February of 2023, Shuo shared some stats about what that growth has looked like. So over the last 12 months, they grew revenue from around $60 million to $300 million. And so far, they've paid out a total of over $5 billion to 250,000 individuals around the world. So really great team operating a critical piece of infrastructure at scale. In this interview, we're going to cover how Shio and Alex went from being friends at MIT to scrappy startup founders in YC to eventually building one of the most important companies that is powering the future of remote work. So excited to dive in. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So, Shu, welcome to the program. Really great to have you here. Thank you, Rex, for having me here. I'm excited to be here as well. Really looking forward to our conversation. I want to back up and kind of start all the way at the beginning, talking about how you and Alex originally met. Yeah, sure. Of course, happy to. Alex and myself, we met at the school at MIT. So we met around 2013. So I did my undergrad at MIT, and after that, I stayed to continue my graduate school studies. And then that's when Alex come to MIT and then doing his master's. That's how we met. Yeah, that is about almost 10 years ago. Yeah. I know. It's crazy how much can happen in 10 years. And over the course of 10 years, of course, you didn't necessarily think you were going to be building in fintech, let alone in international payroll. So I'm curious if you could talk through the early years of your career and then how you and Alex reconvened. Sure. So I actually always wanted to build a fintech company, even though I didn't start immediately because my background, well, at MIT, I studied robotics. So I built exoskeletons. I'm a big fan of robots at that time. And then after school, I went back to Beijing, built my first company. It's a consumer electronics. So we build products, hardwares to like, you know, clean their air qualities. So we sold the company to iRobot later on. And then I was the CTO of the company. And after that, I moved on to the next project, which is Deal. And to help orient the audience, like when did you start that company? When did you sell it? And then when did you start kind of thinking about the ideas around financial services? Yeah. So around 2018, that's when I left Beijing and then moved to San Francisco. 
I wanted to explore more around the fintech and then it would be my next project, right? So and at that time, uh, mobile payments is uh, very popular. Uh, we have WeChat Pay in China and then we have Venmo in the States, as well as like, you know, there are some uh, crypto transactions to support like international payments, right? So at that time, like, you know, payments is very interesting to me. I talked with many people and a lot of my MIT friends worked at big companies like LinkedIn, Google, Facebook, all of those companies. And Mm -hmm. then a friend of mine, his office is in Mountain View, but he lives in San Francisco. And then he only needs to be in the office for three days per week instead of five days. And then I was thinking, oh, wow, that's so cool that you can work remotely from home. And then I was like, if big companies like LinkedIn, Google are already supporting that, maybe other companies will be doing the same. So that's what I started to think about work remotely plus payments. And then at that time, Alex is in Tel Aviv. And then Alex and myself, we're really good friends. So we have very international backgrounds as well. And then we work with international talents. And then we understand that, like, you know, the world is a big place and then talents are all over the place, right? So if we want to work with the best talents out there, it may not be just in San Francisco. So that's why we started to think about, okay, hey, we wanted to build an international payment platform to support and then pay talents globally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you were ideating on this, and I think that's important to mention, in 2018 and then went to YC in early 2019, which is before the pandemic, before there's this huge mega trend behind remote work. Inside the Y Combinator, we started to interview and then trying to acquire a lot of companies to use us. And then what we realized is that, like, you know, the idea is good. A lot of the founders in our batch really like the idea. We have around 200 companies in the same yep. batch and then around 460 founders, right? So we tried to spend our time interviewing them, trying to get their product feedback. So we definitely tried many different methods. Initially, we did crypto payouts, and then we did PayPal payouts. And then later on, we decided to add not only payments, but also compliance as well. Our demo day, our pitch is that we wanted to build a gusto for international contractors. Yeah, absolutely. And so basically a series of rapid iterations over the course of Y Combinator, you move from being focused just on the payment aspects of things to more of an international compliance engine on top of payments, and then getting a lot of continuous feedback from your batchmates. I'm curious to understand, too, like what was the MVP? Because today you are 2,500 employees. You've helped disperse over $5 billion around the globe. You support 15,000 customers. But there was a time when you were very small, you were very scrappy. And so what did that MVP look like, say, you know, just after demo day? So just after demo day, we built our infrastructure based on on top of all kinds of payment providers. We first integrated with PayPal, and then later on we added TransferWise and basically all the digital wallets out there that supports international contractors to receive payments. We would aggregate and integrate it to our platform. And then at the very beginning, we started with international independent contractors. And then yep. to add the compliance piece, we built locally compliant contract on our platform. So for example, if you're a U.S. company, you want to hire a talent in Sweden, and then we will provide you a template that is compliant with Swedish local labor law. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. You know, you didn't have to build the payments layer, right? You were able to stand on top of pre-existing infrastructure. And I think that's one of the really exciting things about fintech today 
is that the infrastructure is better. So you have these building blocks where you can try and build and launch a new product like Deal. But then you have to build your own set of infrastructure and kind of critical products on top of that, which in many ways for Deal is the kind of compliance aspects of what you do, right? Digesting all the local label laws in 150 countries and making that easily accessible to the companies that you work with. So you're not just moving money, you're helping move money in a compliant fashion. So you graduate from the batch in winter of 2019. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to understand what the six months or so of the company's timeline right after Demo Day looked like in terms of what you had to build, basically get a sense of the early days of deal as you started to scale. So we started with our batch miss, and then after that, we expanded our acquisition, user acquisition across the entire YC community. And our first 100 clients are all from Y Combinator, as well as with a lot of our investor introductions, right? And then from that, we realized that, hey, you know, it's just, there is actually a huge need. We interviewed a lot of clients, uh, we gathered their feedback, and then, then we uh, developed our product based on their feedback, right? So we first started with payments, and then we added the compliance. We worked with local legal and uh, local labor law lawyers, and then, then we created 100 contract templates embedded in our platform. So wherever that you want to hire an independent contractor in any specific country, we'll be able to support you on that. And then I think the third one is we started to build products around uh, to support like, you know, all kinds of independent contractors, not yep. only like, you know, the fixed contract, but also hourly contract, milestone contract, task-based contract. Alex and myself, we spent uh, like, you know, first six months of our time doing support. I was based in the States at that time, and Alex is based in Europe. So we cover like pretty much all time zones. Yeah, I want to pull on a couple themes. You talked about how having lawyers go through and review all the local regulations was a big mm-hmm. part of the initial product. And I think that relates to a theme I often like to talk about, which is sometimes the most important product people at mm-hmm. a tech company, or at mm-hmm. least at a fintech company, mm-hmm. are your product counsel, people who understand <laughs> the regulatory aspects of what you are doing, and then can help translate that and implement it in code. And then also, I think another thing, too, is one of the best ways to learn how the business operates and to get customer feedback is to be be in support. And for founders, often you have no choice because you're a very small Mm -hmm. team. But even at scale, having your employees rotate through support functions give you a great lens of how the product is actually working or not working at scale in the real world. That's great just to understand some of the initial build over kind of those kind of first six months, call it. And then you ended up raising an A from us, or at least at the time I was at Andreessen Horowitz. The business was growing very quickly. But then in 2020, the global pandemic hits and remote work was already a trend. Now remote work is the default for everyone everywhere. The growth and the customer demand you were experiencing gets a huge acceleration. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you could talk through, for those two years post the pandemic, what were the hardest parts about scaling the company? What it looked like to help build and grow the, the revenue organization at Deal? Yeah, definitely. We raised our Series A at the beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic. And 
remote work is already very popular at that time. My problem of scaling the team and then keep up the growth changes all the time, right? So every year, every different stage, I would have different problems and then I need to solve those problems, hire different people, build a different team, and then build a different strategy as well to grow the company, right? And then when it comes to manage one person sales team versus 10 people sales team versus 100 people sales team versus what we have today is 500 people in the sales organization is all very different. So at the very beginning, it's all about like, you know, how you develop the pitch, how you deliver what our products is, right? And then, then later on is more around how we can solve a problem for our clients. And then also as we grow, we are going up a market as well. So initially, our focus is around SMBs, but today... Also, we have a lot of global strategic accounts and enterprise companies using Deal to run payroll and then to support, like, you know, their companies across, let's say, like 20, 30 different countries. I think that's not uncommon for tech companies or fintech companies where you start with kind of a bottoms up, go to market serving really small clients who are your YC batchmates. But as you grow, you often end up moving dramatically up market and having large enterprises rely on your product. And that's mm-hmm. a completely different sales cycle, sales motion, whole different set of like product needs. That whole enterprise sales motion is a big leap for a company to make. So I'm mm-hmm. curious to hear your thoughts on how you made that transition from kind of more of the SMB kind of small scale sales to the enterprise type sales. I think a deal is a little bit unique because we are very international and then fully remote team since day one. Mm-hmm. And then that makes our product be able to serve or help clients not only based in North America, but also globally, including like, you know, EMEA, LATAM and APAC. So that was our strategy initially. We have a global sales team since day one that helped us to understand the market, understand our clients from different stages, from SMB in the market to enterprise. So when it comes to like, you know, hey, we want to go upper market, we want to close some of the enterprise clients, we're already like, you know, in the radar, we will need to like, you know, build account strategy for every single account out there, right? So because typically for enterprise clients, you don't talk with one person, you may talk with their entire legal team, you may talk with their entire payroll team and their entire HR team, right? It could be like, you know, 10, 20 people. When it comes to enterprise sales, it's all about like, you know, project management. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the hard parts about growing an enterprise sales org. It's just not like you're just building an enterprise sales team. You yeah. often are actually having to build a lot of other organizations as well. Because you're not just a product company, you become a solutions company. So you need mm-hmm. the sales team, you need the sales engineering team, which relates yeah. to the implementation, and then you need the customer success team. And you're having to do this while building a team of 500 sales folks <laughs> around the world in different centers with a changing product. And so it's a lot to build. But you mentioned something else I wanted to touch on, which is not just how you have to change the enterprise sales organization, but also how you had to make a lot of product changes to become more enterprise ready. And I would love to hear what some of those product changes you have made over the last few years are that have been big unlocks in terms of enterprise readiness. 
So our aim is like, you know, we want to deliver our talents, their salary on time and then all the time, right? And then that's number one. And then number two is that we want to make sure that, you know, when our clients hire any international talents out there, regardless their location, their country, their status, like it is always compliant, right? So, and then on top of that, for enterprise clients, what is special, where what they need is all kinds of integrations, right? So because they already have a very mature, like a tech stack. What are the big buckets of integrations that matter? So I'm sure accounting software, yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of other HRIS systems, probably there are other payroll systems. So accounting software is number one, is typically what enterprise clients care the most. And then number two is HRIS system. Yeah, and then outside of the kind of long tail of integrations you need to support, have there been other big product unlocks for the enterprise clients? Today, billing, annual billing, and then prepaid features, and then the requirements are all very different compared to like, you know, SMB clients or mail market clients, right? And then how we build like, you know, the net pay, and how we build like, you know, our invoices that fits in to like, you know, different enterprise uh, clients' needs are all very customized. So you guys are mostly a B2B company, right? You're selling international payroll to companies to support their workers. But you also have the end employees on your platform who mm -hmm. are now getting paid through deal. And I'm curious what kind of products and features you're thinking about building out now or have built out recently for those end employees. So we have different models today, right? So we started to support companies to pay uh, independent contractors, right? And then yep. at the towards the end of 2020, we added our employer of record product. And then in 2022, we released our global payroll product. That means like, you know, for any companies that have an entity in any specific countries, we'll be able to help them to run payroll locally. So basically the kind of product progression has been originally support independent contractors who are probably not associated with any legal entity of the company mm -hmm. or of deal to mm -hmm. then being able to support employees globally who are mm -hmm. technically affiliated with a deal legal entity, but mm -hmm. employed or contracting in some sense for the employer to now actually allowing people to run what's truly global remote payroll where they bring their mm -hmm. own legal entities and you're simply the payroll and compliance engine on top of that, which is which is super exciting, I think, points to the kind of ways in which the product has has grown over time. I also want to talk a little bit about culture. So something I see mm -hmm. floating around whenever people are talking about deals, they'll sometimes reference deal speed. And I'm curious what deal speed means to you and how that's manifested itself within the organization. Yeah. So deal speed, that means like, you know, we execute and then we deliver fast. So we constantly like, you know, develop strategies and based on their market demand, develop product roadmap based on client feedback and then deliverables. And then we deliver those faster manner. It seems to be working. I know in February of 2023, you guys shared some of your revenue numbers and you went from essentially around $60 million in revenue 12 months before to about $300 million in revenue, which is phenomenal growth for that scale. So hopefully DealSpeak can keep unlocking some big wins for Deal. One other thing I want to talk about, because you have a front row seat to this, is what trends you're seeing. The pandemic is starting to ebb. But obviously, that doesn't mean <laughs> remote work is stopping. So what, what are some of the trends you're seeing in remote work now? 
I think remote work is a mainstream and it's going to be a kind of lifestyle, right? And then a lot of talents, like, you know, they prefer to work from home and then versus like, you know, spending the time to go back to the office. And uh, for a lot of the time, in-person meetings are important, but it does not need to be every day, right? So this hybrid model and then companies hiring remotely is still like, you know, a very popular trend. And then also like, you know, I'm seeing a lot of finance department from a company, controllers, the CFOs are making decisions to hire talents internationally. Yeah, just because like, you know, they will be able to expand faster and then expand it to a different market and then gain different revenue and then as well as like, you know, cut their like a fundamental operating cost, right? So still like hiring internationally, hiring globally and build a global expansion strategy is still like on top of the company leader's mind. Yeah. So definitely still seeing lots of companies do it, which is not surprising, but also maybe the types of employees and the kinds of departments they're hiring internationally from has changed. Whereas I feel like originally it was a lot of folks in product or in engineering were mm-hmm. kind of the key folks people are hiring remotely, whereas now you're seeing a lot of people within finance departments, for example, being sourced from around the world. Yeah, finance departments, sales and marketing, right? So like, you know, the finance departments are the one that's uh, making the key decisions, right? So like, you know, they would make the decisions to say, hey, where they want to hire and then like, you know, which market they want to expand to and then where is the most financially efficient or cost effective markets that they can hire talents from. So yeah, not just different departments, but also kind of the level of seniority and the Mm -hmm. types of folks who might be very crucial to the high-level strategy behind the company, increasingly Mm -hmm. even those folks are based remotely. You see a lot of other companies that are default global, to borrow a term from my colleagues at A16Z, which default global is essentially just saying companies from day one will have employees and go-to-markets in many countries around the world Mm -hmm. as opposed to Mm -hmm. just starting in the U.S. Are there Mm -hmm. other bits of infrastructure that you see people struggling with or that deal itself as a default global company. It's like, man, it'd be great to have better support and tools for these. Because these might be ideas for entrepreneurs who want to build international infrastructure and financial services to pursue. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, uh, for a default global company, it comes to like a fintech, well, financial related is treasury systems, right? So because they have offices at different places and then they automatically need to manage different kind of currencies. And then for FX, like, you know, all those exchange, how do they lock the rate and then how yep. do they do the hedging between like USD, Euro, GPP, how do they like, you know, manage their internal treasury system? I think that's yep. a big trend and a big direction that like, I think new companies, new projects, can start to build, yeah. I think international treasury is a huge potential opportunity area and a huge problem today. I'm curious how you guys have approached international treasury. Is it something you've largely just had to build in-house that you found good solutions for? We tried many different products out there, so we couldn't find anyone that can support like a deal at our scale, yep. right? So we're very big. We're the largest remote companies in the world today. And then also we have 450 bank accounts globally. And then we manage like, you know, a lot of international uh, transactions every single month just to, so that, you know, we need to pay all those global employees and global talents, right? And then remember, I always say that, you know, we need to pay them on time each time. It's actually very, very hard to do when it comes to global transactions, global payroll, and how you move the money around, right? So we have built our own internal uh, treasury infrastructure and treasury systems, and then we have to do hedging sometimes our own as well. That could be a very good direction. 
for new companies and new founders to build. Well, thanks so much for sharing your perspective and kind of the story on Deal, how you guys have gone you know, from being one of the small companies at YC's Winter 2019 batch to now powering you know, some of the largest companies around the world as they run their own international talent operations. So thanks very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks Rex for having me again. And then thanks for uh, always supporting us. Thanks so much, Joe. It's been great, great having you. Great, bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you really enjoyed this conversation with Shuo. If you'd like to follow and discover more content like this, feel free to hit subscribe. So thanks so much for joining us and hope to catch you next time.